Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. God, you know the, whew, the, the, the well of compassion, the, the touch of your spirit that you have moved so powerfully in our hearts and our lives. God, you've had such mercy on us as a people, as us individually. And Lord, we thank you for that. And now we're asking, Holy Spirit of God, that you would make manifest the mercy and the compassion of Jesus to our region. I thank you that it was through the laying down of your life, Jesus, that you broke the the grip of Lucifer off of humanity. It, It was through the not exercising your right to speak, Jesus, but instead you were a a sheep led to slaughter without opening your mouth. You submitted to death, even death on a cross. You submitted your life in service to unlock liberty. You laid down your life, Jesus, and so we just take up our cross now that we too might be those who would be used to bring liberty, to break the bondage of demonic things, off of this region. And God, we proclaim that even, that, that even in this tragedy, in the face of it, Lord, that you would turn for good what the enemy meant for evil. Is there an amen in here today? Lord, we would turn for good. I don't know how you do it, Lord, but yeah, I know you will. So turn for good what the enemy meant for evil, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, we pray these things right now in the precious name of the Lord. If you dare to agree with that, you said. Amen. Amen. Yay, good job. Pat somebody on the back and say, good job. Way to go. You did it. Awesome. I want to share a quandary I have today. If you ever wonder the things that I wonder about, I'm going to give you a crack at it today. I'm going, to, I'm going to read some ideas, share some thoughts, and then we'll wrestle with something together. Sound good? This is Isaiah 6. Love this passage. Messes me up every time I read it. Isaiah 6. Um, I've talked about this before, and so forgive me if it sounds familiar. We're going to go to new places, but... Um, so it serves as a great foundation. I don't know why I keep moving this chair. I think I'm just stir-crazy this morning. Probably won't even sit in it. I'll try for a second. But you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get up, and two minutes later, I'm going to move the chair back over there. Somebody should count all the idiosyncrasies that I do every weekend. How many times do I take my glasses off, put them back on? You know it doesn't matter, right? I'm just fidgeting. They don't read. They don't do anything. They're just in the way. I should just not even wear them. I had this happen to me. Uh, I, I, okay, I'm 45. Yeah, I know some people know what I'm about to do right now. And I was sitting there and I was reading something. I think it was on my phone or something. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with my eyes right now? What's wrong with my phone? I'm like, is it blurry? What in the world? Nicole, look at this. What's wrong with my phone? She's like, it looks fine. I'm like, nah. Ah. It happened overnight. Overnight. Perfectly clear the night before. I woke up the next day, and my eyes, I need cheaters. What happened? Somebody's cursing me. I don't know what's going on here. Get behind me, Satan. Amen. Buying the devil of cheater glasses. 
Thank you. Yes. Amen. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah's, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Isaiah the prophet is having this experience. He sees a vision of heaven. And there's God. I see the king. I see the Lord sitting on a throne. The train is filling the, re- the temple. That, that phrase, train is filling the temple, it means it's coming into the room and it's continuing to come into the room. The train of a, of a robe is the picture. It's a, it's a manifestation of glory. It's a picture of something glorious. The reason why a king or you know, the bride would have a train so long is that it's a picture of glory. It's to their glory, their benefit, that this long and beautiful and whatever. And the train of the Lord's robe is filling the temple. It came in the room. It's still coming in the room. It hasn't stopped coming in the room. How glorious is our God? Right? It, it's nonstop. You can't fill the room. It, it, it's continuing to come in. He's so glorious. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. Two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. And two, they flew. One called out to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The foundations of the thresholds were trembling at the voice of those who were calling out with the temple filling with smoke. This is heaven. How sturdy do you think heaven is? We're talking flimsy build. Is this a double wide? Does God live in a double wide trailer? No, I'm guessing it's pretty sturdy. How in the world are the thresholds, the supportive elements of heaven, shaking at a voice? I imagine the volume of these voices is rather loud. Okay, you've heard me say this before, but they didn't say holy, holy, holy. They said one time holy. The reason it's written three times is because it's for emphasis sake. Isaiah is emphasizing that you cannot emphatically enough declare how holy God is. These angels are screaming to one another. Did you see that? I cannot believe how holy God is. And they're screaming it so loud. I'm not going to do it in the microphone. I've done that before. You've had the experience. Go back and watch the DVD, okay? (laughs) DVD, right, yeah. Listen to the audio tape. (laughs) Shut up. You're old. Leave me alone. (laughs) Foundation of the thresholds of the temple are trembling or shaking, filling with smoke. And then Isaiah says something. He goes, woe is me. I'm ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. That phrase, unclean lips, means I am a liar. I have not spoken the truth. He sees God and he goes, I'm ruined. I'm a liar. I live among a people who are liars. For my eyes have now seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So what has he been lying about? What does Israel think they know, but clearly they do not know? Here we go. Ready? We're going to move the chair. Pause for dramatic impact. What are they lying about? What has it dawned on him? He just realized that he thought he knew who God was and he just realized he does not know who God is. He thought he understood the holiness of God and then he saw God and was like, I'm undone, I am ruined. I cannot believe that people have thought they understood how holy God was. Do you understand how holy your God is? The answer is no, no you do not. And that when you see him, you will be undone as well. When you realize just how holy, how powerful, how absolutely like nothing else, you cannot compare God. Holy means other than. It means there's nothing to compare with. 
And, and it's, he's so holy, he's so other than, he's so beyond anything that anybody has ever, that, that, that Isaiah the prophet, who was a good prophet, he was a godly man, he did the best he could with his life. He walked with multiple kings. He saw fit to, that the Lord would use him as a mouthpiece in the nations on behalf of God. And Isaiah sees him and goes, I'm totally ruined. I'm a liar. I clearly had no idea what I was talking about. And I think you're going to have the same reaction when you see God. I think you're going to have the same reaction. I think you're going to realize just how unclean you are and how holy he is. I think that once you saw it, and this is what happens. It says he falls as a dead man. He goes, I'm ruined. (laughs) One of the seraphim flew over to me with a burning coal in his hand. He had taken it. From the altar with tongs, he touched my mouth with it. He said, Behold, it's touched your lips. It has removed your iniquity. It's taken away your sin. You are forgiven. Something in the realm of mercy allows us to be in the context of a holy God. Something in the realm of mercy, of, of, of forgiveness allows us to be in the context of a God who's so other than that you die if you're in his presence. But because of mercy, you're allowed to be in his presence. I don't get it. Blows me away every time. I could get into the nuance here. It's not the point of today. I just want you to marvel at that with me. This is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. I think we got this one for the board. We can follow along. Yeah, great. Um, it's a chunk of scripture. I'll go until it feels repetitive, but it's kind of crazy. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the, the two sons of Aaron when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. Okay? So Aaron's two sons approached the presence of the Lord and they died. Not a good day. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. So you have the ark of the covenant, the golden box. Inside it is the the covenant. It's the Ten Commandments. You've got other items that have been put in there for remembrance sake. You have a cover over the box, the golden box, called the mercy seat. Over the mercy seat, you have two winged cherubim. We have the wings sticking out towards him, towards each other. And in the midst, over the mercy seat, between the cherubim, that's where the presence of the Lord manifests. That's where God speaks out of his place in heaven to humanity. Between the cherubim, over the mercy seat, that's where the voice of God comes. It is still today, it is where God speaks to you from. And I'm going to say this before I read the rest of this, because it's, it's really just... It's so, I don't know. I don't know how to read this and go, I don't understand God. Because it repeats over and over, don't go in there, you're going to die. Verse 4, put on the holy tunic with the linen undergarments next to your body. Gird yourself with the sash attired with the linen turban. Take a bath. (laughs) You hippie, take a bath. He shall take from the congregation, the sons of Israel, two male goats, one for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. He'll take the two goats and present them before the Lord in the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the, uh, for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell will be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and will send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of the fire from upon the altar before the Lord and the handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. And he'll put it on the incense, on the fire before the Lord. And the Lord of incense may cover the mercy seat that's on the Ark of the Testimony. Otherwise, he will what? 
You're going to die. Moreover, he'll take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat in the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he'll sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. And he'll bring it in and uh, the blood inside the veil to do with its blood as with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. He'll make atonement for the holy place because of its impurities and the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. And when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one should come into the tent of meeting until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for the assembly of Israel. And then he's going to go out of the altar that's before the Lord to make atonement for it. And he'll take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and sprinkle it on the horns of the altar on all sides. And with his fingers, he'll sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it from the impurities of the sons of Israel. And he'll consecrate it. And when he's finished, finishes atoning for the holy place of the tent of meeting, the altar, he'll offer the live goat, right? And then we're going to go through another phase of this. And then we're going to talk about how in the world does Aaron come out of the holy place after he's been consecrated, after he's offered these things, and come amongst a sinful people again. And there's all this ritual and all this process. And at the end of it, you know what the punchline is? If you do it wrong, you die. die. You know when we were worshiping today and we're like, man, I feel the presence of God. You know what the sermon today is called? You should be dead. <laughs> I'm not lying. That's the name of the sermon. You should be dead. I should be dead. You should be dead. This doesn't make sense. Because the presence of God that's a blessing to us is also that which is so holy that it kills anything that is impure. It doesn't, they don't mix. And I think sometimes we approach the fear of the Lord as if it's like cute. No, you don't understand. Well, oh, no, the new covenant has changed everything. Yes, it's changed everything. But I want to, I'm going to take you through some stuff this morning that for me, I'm like, eh, I don't know if we should get so cute. You know, King David gets the Ark of the Covenant. Nicole's been preaching about this last week, and um, she's going to get to share again this coming week, and I think she's going to continue it. Yeah, my wife's awesome. You should not complain about when my wife speaks, man. She's... But, But she's talking about the life of David and Saul and the difference and how David's a worshiper, a man after God's own heart, and there's a time they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back up to Jerusalem. He's trying to do the right thing, but he puts it on a cart instead of carrying it. And the Ark, the cart stumbles, and the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall into the dirt. And, 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 and Uzzah, David's friend, reaches out just to stabilize the Ark. Just keep the box from falling off the cart. Makes sense. He's doing God a solid, like you're about to fall in a cow pie. Let's not do that. Here. He touches it, and what happens? He dies. And David looks at it, and he's ticked, and he goes, what is this about? How do I get to God's presence in my life, but every time I get near it, he kills people? Philistines get a hold of the ark. Anybody remember this one? Eli, very foolish. Let's the Ark of the Covenant go out to battle, even though the Lord has said, I'm not with you, you're going to lose. And the Philistines kill the Israelites, and they end up taking the Ark of the Covenant, or the presence of God, and they take it into the Temple of Dagon, their temple. And they got the Ark of the Covenant in there, and do you know what happens? They all start getting hemorrhoids. <laughs> Says it. Right? I love that the Bill Johnson is the first one to come up with his jokes. It's not my own. I'm stealing it. Right? But what's a blessing for your, you is a pain in the butt for the enemy. Every interaction that God has with humanity requires mercy. Every interaction. Just to talk to you, he has to have mercy on you. That's so why I, I, I say to people, when, if you're struggling, what do you need? You, you, know, you don't need another worship service. You, don't need, you need to hear God's voice. That's it. 
If you're struggling, you feel distant from God, what you need to do is go have a quiet time. Just get quiet and let God speak to you. It doesn't even matter what he talks to you about, because as soon as you hear him speak to you, what just took place? He had to have mercy on you. He cleansed your conscience. Suddenly, things will be made right. And then he might take you to the woodshed and need to discipline you. But, but the thing that you felt was all blocked up and I'm stuck and whatever, at least God dealt with that. Are you alive this morning? Okay. I'll give you all my secrets today. This is John chapter 1. John the Baptist is proclaiming Jesus. He's talking about Jesus and what's the sign of Jesus' coming and how would he know that it's the Messiah? This is John 1, verse 32. John was testifying. He said, I see the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and it remained upon Jesus. I didn't recognize him before that. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who then will baptize in the Holy Spirit. It's the Messiah. Jesus had the manifestation of God's presence come upon him and remain. This is a big deal. Because Jesus is about to interact with humanity. Jesus is walking around as the temple of God. The manifested presence of God is on Jesus. And every time Jesus interacts with people, that same presence of God that you and I find a blessing should be what? To sinners. Killing them. That's why we know the Lord was merciful. The same presence of God that requires the blood sacrifice, the strict observance of priests, is the same presence of God that came upon Jesus. Same presence of God that required a goat to be killed every year and a, a scapegoat to be sent into the wilderness that dwelled behind a thick foot, foot-thick curtain separating people from God's presence so that God wouldn't break out and kill them. That same presence of God rested on, openly on Jesus. The same presence that was now in open dwelling upon Jesus where any broken, sinful, dirty person could touch him. It's the same presence that killed Uzzah when he tried to steady the ark. Did something change? How is it that God's presence can manifest without killing people? That's my question. That's my meditation. Yep, for the journey. Come on, elbow your neighbor and go, this is a fun conversation. This is, this is interesting. I'm interested in this. Quit interrupting me. Let me hear. What changed? How is the presence of God behind the veil killing people, but the same presence of God now dwelling in open could be touched by the greatest of sinners? Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. There's a story behind this, but we're just skipping to the good parts here. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And so he got up and followed him. It happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came where they were dining and Jesus, with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? It's a good question. I think sometimes we think about this. We're going to keep reading in a second here. Just pause, though. You just leave that verse up. Why are we dwelling with sinners and tax collectors? I think sometimes we give the Pharisees a hard time, and we're like, why are they so on about this? But they're asking the same logical question I'm asking you. How can Jesus, who says he's of God, mingle with sinners? 
No wonder they're accusing him of having a demon. You're healing by demons. Why would they say that? Because how can God's presence hang out with sinners? It can't. It's been proven for history that God's presence doesn't mingle well with sin. And so the only way that you could be doing this through something supernatural is by doing it of a devil. Y'all, this is not an un, this is this is a logical argument. These are not being, they're, they're not being judgmental and evil, and we give the, the Pharisees a bad rap. No, no, they're asking a logical question. Jesus reclining at the table. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came out, and the Pharisees saw this. They said, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. Now, this is a quoted passage. Jesus didn't make this up. This is coming from Old Testament. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I desire compassion. The word compassion is the word for mercy. The word for sacrifice means to cover through. It's, it's the, the idea of I'm, I'm doing a sacrifice to cover sin. It's a function of atonement. We are atoning for sin. God would rather have compassion or mercy, not sacrifice. The two are not linked. I know we see them together, but these are two separate actions. The atonement for sin means tit for tat. It means that you have to kill something in order to pay. Compassion and mercy is the choice not to, uh, not to count someone's trespasses against them. You just nullify it before it gets there. Jesus was not calling for the excusing of sin, but rather that we have compassion and mercy towards people who are broken. Okay, I want to ask you a question. What if Jesus was not tolerating the sin of the tax collectors, but rather he was exercising mercy towards them? See, the question the Pharisees are saying, like, how can you tolerate sin? If you're from God, how are you tolerating sin? He's not. He's not tolerating sin. He's not okay with it. He's not winking at it. This is bad thinking. If you're a believer and you think that God's winking at sin, he is not. Why not sin some more so that grace might increase? Oh my, my friend, you do not understand God. You do not understand what's happening here. If you think it's okay just to keep on sinning after you become a believer, you do not understand what's happening here. What if Jesus was not tolerating the sin? What if he was actively doing something else that eliminated it? It's a crazy story. It's going to open a can of worms, and it's okay. I might leave you with more questions and answers today. But I'll give you something to talk about at lunch. This is Acts 5. Nobody likes this story. Most people avoid it. There was a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira. They're like, oh, oh, geez. What's he going to say about this? I just want to show you that God's not winking at sin. Man Ananias and his wife's fire sold a piece of property, and they kept some of the money back for themselves. And his wife had full knowledge of this, and they brought a portion of it, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart with a lie to the Holy Spirit in keeping some of the price back from the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it still not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. 
And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all those who heard it. The young men got up, covered him. After carrying him out, they buried him. There elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yep, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out as well. Immediately she fell over and breathed her last. The young man came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church, over all who heard these things. The presence of God still kills because of sin, y'all. What was the difference here? Peter let her reap her consequence versus having compassion on her. That's it. That's it. Doesn't need to be anything else. The presence of God does not tolerate sin. Doesn't tolerate sin. Fear swept over the church. of like, whoa, we should not pretend like the goosebumps we feel in worship service are nothing. Now, I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet, after this sermon today, you're going to appreciate the fact that often I stand in this pulpit and I go, I release mercy over you. I do not retain your sin. I bet you're going to appreciate the fact that we have the people do that to each other. Like, hey, you should cover one another's sin. You should release mercy to one another. Not holding each other accountable tit for tat for every evil thing that people have done and try to get justice out of the injustice. That never works. It never works. You feel injustice. You feel slighted. You feel whatever. The only solution is mercy. You're never going to get justice out of your injustice. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to satisfy it. The only way out of this pattern is by releasing mercy. It's not by playing the game of the law. It's by coming above it. It's by enacting the very thing that Jesus walked in. It's compassion. I don't know. Maybe we should let one or two of those things happen and then see if we, how seriously we take this. I think this is actually, sometimes people get on the, the house, they're like, why don't we have more manifestations of demons? Because I'm always moving in mercy. Because I'm trying to embarrass you. I know that you can get delivered without having to have a near-death experience. You don't understand. This is real. This stuff is real. Power of God is real. The point is not to force manifestations and try to get... a. I don't even know. Whatever that response, the ooh and ah, the point is to help people experience the compassion and mercy of the Lord in transformation. Be slow to judge. Be way quick on mercy. Peter didn't do anything to them. He just allowed them to experience the consequences of their choices without intervening with mercy. Scriptures are clear. The Lord does not excuse sin. In fact, if you sin, you're separated eternally from God. That is how it works. Some reasons the presence of God resting upon Jesus, though, wasn't killing sinners. Instead, they were experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in kindness and healing. And this is what I want to point out to you. This is where we're going to land the plane today, if you will. Is I want you to see how useful this is. Because you can exact justice by demanding a return on somebody did this, and so this is the result. Someone stole, and so you owe me sevenfold. You can use the law to try to leverage something. You can. But I will tell you that when you move in compassion, it builds a bridge from the holiness of God and his power to the sinner. 
Compassion and mercy go hand in hand. This is how you do it. How do you minister the holiness of God to create a solution in someone who is broken? It is through compassion. It is through mercy. The Pharisees are wrestling with this idea. How could it be possible that Jesus is from God because God's presence and God's miracles are connected to his holiness? And when they ask Jesus why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, they're asking a legitimate question. How can the presence of God be connected to sinners? It can't. The only way is if the person who's carrying the presence of God is exercising mercy and compassion. Jesus says to the Pharisees, go learn what this means. If you want to see God's presence touch and transform society, learn how to walk in compassion instead of trying to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. This is a modern issue. I know it feels ancient because we're like talking about a historical context, but this is the, this is the modern issue the church is facing right now. Because we do not know how to, <laughs> we don't know how to remain relevant to a sinful world and also represent the holy God. We haven't figured this out. We don't know what to do. We don't know, we don't know how to love somebody stuck in a sin that we do not appreciate we don't know how to come up next to them. We don't know how to walk with them in such a way that brings redemption without feeling like we are condoning or being okay with their sin. We don't know how to do it. Jesus did it just fine. Jesus didn't have any issue. No tax collector thought, oh, Jesus agrees with getting one over on, you know, Rome or swindling. No one thought that. Jesus hanging out with prostitutes and loving on them. No one thought, oh, he's a, a womanizer, an abuser. No one thought that. Because the holiness that Jesus walked in and the power that he walked in was so obvious. He's above repute. He's above this. He's having compassion. It's so clear and obvious. How do we know? Because every time Jesus has compassion, someone gets healed. Jesus is not comfortable with their sin. He is not excusing it. He's having mercy on them. He is modeling how compassion builds a bridge between the sinner and the holiness of God. Lots of examples of this. Let me just rattle a few off. Feeding of the 5,000. This is Matthew 14. Jesus heard that John got thrown in prison. He withdrew from there. He went on a boat to a secluded place. When he heard this, all the people followed him on foot. He went ashore. He saw the large crowd. And what did it say? It said he felt compassion for them. And so what did he do? He healed all their sick. And when it was evening, he said, the place is desolate. The hour is late. Let's not send the crowds away. Let's feed them. And so he fed 5,000 people. Matthew 15, verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee. Going up on a mountain, he sat down. A large crowd came to him, and bringing those who were lame, crippled, mute, and blind, and many others, they laid him at his feet, and he healed them all. And the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called to his disciples. He said, I feel compassion for the people. They've been with me all this day. Let's feed them. Feeds 4,000. Matthew 20, as they're leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and there was two blind men sitting on the road. Hearing that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. So they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want from me to do? They said, give us our eyes. So he was moved with compassion, and he touched their eyes. Immediately they restored their sight. A leper came to see Jesus, beseeching him. They fall on his knees, saying to him, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. Leprosy leaves him. Luke 7, soon afterwards, he was leaving the city of Nain, and his disciples were going on uh, along with him and accompanied a large crowd. And now he approached the gate of the city, and there was a dead man being carried out, and the only son to his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said, don't weep. He came up, he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man got up, began to speak. And everybody freaked out. 
The same holy presence of God that now dwells within you by faith in Jesus' covenant. That same presence of God. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You are the mobile mercy seat. You walk around, you have God's presence on you. The Lord wants to rest upon your life in his presence and power. He died so that he could be with you. The same Holy Spirit wants to touch the world around you and transform it with his love and power. If you want to be people to encounter the holy presence of God and experience his love, then you must build a bridge to the broken world through mercy and compassion. It's how you transform someone's brokenness with God's holy presence. You have mercy. Not by judging it as wrong, and so that's why I'm here to preach at you. It's to come alongside the brokenness and go, man, God loves you so much. To feel it, to be in it with them. To, to know. Not to judge it, not to be above it. You're not above it. What fights people from experiencing God is when a believer stands in judgment over sin that you see in a person. Your judgment of their sin will limit and prevent the holy presence of God from manifesting. Why? Because if you move in judgment, it's like Ananias and Sapphira, and God doesn't want to kill people. Rawr! Your heart position is determining how much of God's presence can manifest. If you're merciful, then he can manifest powerfully. If you choose to enter into judgment, then you're preventing the Holy Spirit from touching those who are broken. If you're compassionate, then your, then, then your mercy will build a bridge and provide a way for, the, for God to manifest in his presence. The presence of the Lord will minister to the sinner and bring God's holiness into that evil situation, to that unholy people, and bring redemption. Do you get it? I mean, like, God's Holy Spirit will heal them from their terrible issues that they face. It's our job to build the bridge so that God can flow through your life and minister to the sinner. He brings deliverance and he heals them of their sin and their brokenness. To build a bridge requires that you not judge them, but rather have mercy upon them. People here today, you're like, dude, I need mercy myself. Yeah, you betcha. You do. You've been stuck in sin. Peace has left your life. You don't know what to do. I'm telling you, turn to Jesus. Receive him. He'll wash you clean. He'll give you his spirit. Your life will be remade. There's others who have stood in judgment over people and you're wondering why you're so dry yourself. It's because you have stood in judgment and you're holding resentment against people and when you're holding of sin against people, your lack of mercy towards people is limiting the presence of God that can manifest on you. It's why you're dry, because you're judgmental. So repent of it. Release compassion and mercy, and you too will be refreshed. That's how it works. We have a choice. We can allow the presence of God, his holiness, to be made manifest in our lives in such a way that it makes the world afraid of us because we're going to judge them. Or we can be like a Mother Teresa and get in the dirt with people and love on people. It might not be as flashy. You might not get headlines. Frankly, there's a lot less power in an altar call if I'm already given mercy before you get here. But I don't think it's this that transforms a life. I think the presence of God touching your life, if you get real with this thing, just understand this isn't a game. It's just not a game. The holiness of God wants to touch and transform your life, and you are living in his mercy. So if you start to give it to others, you'll be refreshed yourself again. Matthew 9, 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Can I tell you how much of the harvest is stuck not knowing Jesus simply because there's nobody willing to just walk with them through their pain? 
They feel judged. They don't know what to do. If, if you just literally would pull up next to people, and instead of judging their situation, just come alongside them. You don't have to be the solution. You don't have to fix everything. They're distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He turned to his disciples. He said, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. So let's beseech the Lord of the harvest. And let's get out there and love on some people. Amen. Amen. There you go. Would you jump to your feet today? I don't know if how much judgment people of Burnsville and the River Valley needs right now. I know that they need a whole bunch of compassion and mercy. I know that people already feel responsible and feel bad and feel guilty and feel all that kind of stuff. I know that there's a family right now who had a dad make some really terrible decisions and there's people that are carrying guilt and shame and there's all that kind of stuff and they just desperately need mercy. I know that the evil one loves to take these kinds of situations and just heap on evil, man. But we are those who can stand in intercession between situations and proclaim the mercy of God. And so that's what we're doing today. Would you please join me in prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we stand in this place today and from the seat of authority you've given, on the, Lord, I'm standing on the apostolic foundation you've given us to stand on. Standing in this place today, and in the authority of Christ, that which he has given to us to steward, I proclaim over our region the mercy of the Lord. I proclaim over our region, over every city in the Minnesota River Valley, we declare the mercy of God, that we do not retain your sin, that we declare mercy, that every work of evil and every work of intention of evil that is attempted to condemn and to twist and to pervert people's intentions, we break your power today in Jesus' name. Lord, I am asking that your Holy Spirit, your Holy Presence, would manifest so powerfully in this hour. Come upon your churches, God. Holy Spirit, come upon the house church. God, I pray for the manifestation of your Holy Presence like we have never experienced before. I pray, God, that it would be so lavishly powerful that the love of God would come crashing in in every way, God. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we release mercy over those who've judged us. Come on, just declare this with me. This, Lord, I release mercy over people who've judged me. Come on, just declare that to yourself. People who've misunderstood me, I release mercy. People who've spoken evil against me, I do not retain their sin. I release mercy to them. People who've done evil against me, I don't count their trespasses against them. I release them. Come on, declare it. You want to get out of the mud or not? Lord, where I've had judgment and I have been quick to, to judge situations, judge people, declare something as wrong, declare intentions as if I know what's going on in some, somebody. Lord, all that stuff. My judgments, Lord, I repent of the judgment I've held against people. Come on, declare it. I repent. I repent of the judgment that I've held against leaders. I, re I repent of the judgment that I've held against our justice system, our governmental systems. Lord, I repent of the judgment I've held against these things. I release mercy. Come on, if you want to be somebody who God can use in these spheres of influence, then you've got to be free from judgment. Lord, my, our bosses, business decisions, the stuff that's hindered us, hurt us, done things, Lord, that injured us, God, we just declare mercy over them. We release them. We belong to you, Lord. You're our king. You're our shepherd. So in every way, Lord, we plead and decree the blood of Jesus and his mercy, every form of witchcraft, every tongue that's condemned us, every curse, we break the power right now. We declare mercy in its place. Every evil we have spoken, Lord, we repent. We pray, Lord God, that every, every careless word that's come out of our mouth, Lord, that you would break their power off of people, God. We do not want to hinder people. So we release blessing in its place, Lord. Make us free today, God.
Make us free today. Now, Lord, in this house, over this congregation, I declare your mercy afresh. I do not retain your sins, church. As your pastor, declare mercy over you. If I had opportunity to lay hands on you, I'd say, be released, son. You don't carry that guilt anymore. Be released. Be forgiven. Be released. If I had the opportunity to wash your feet, I would right now. Wash your humanity. Just be forgiven. Be released. No longer carry the burden of this. You don't have to prove anything. Just be undone. Be released. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you put a hand on your own heart just to receive now? Holy Spirit, come and fill them. Jesus. Lord, let your mercy flow. Let your mercy flow. Let your mercy flow. Let your mercy flow. Let grace like a river abound to every soul. Decree mercy over them. And Father, I thank you. Now, God, I thank you that joy is their portion and peace be your guide and your hearts and minds be illuminated with truth and love and purity. Thank you, God, for the holy fire of God from the altar that would touch and cleanse your lips, remove your guilt, your iniquity. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that it's only by your grace, Jesus. So we proclaim your blood, Jesus, till you come again. Now, Father, I thank you for this people. May the Lord bless you, church. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's countenance be towards you. May he be gracious to you. Grant you shalom, peace. I pray these things and decree them over your lives in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. And if you dare to agree with that, you said. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.